You guys can have a seat. This is the last week, as uh, I think Ian said at the very beginning, this is our last week of our series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. And, uh, and I hope the last weeks have been helpful for you. Have you been helpful to anybody in the house? It's been a lot of fun. It's been, so some of you maybe who are visiting today, this is your first time, you're thinking, Leviticus, how could that have possibly been fun over the last few weeks? Uh, but I, above all, I hope, I hope that it has shown us that, that the Word of God is so rich it's so full. I hope that has shown us that, that, that even though we spent five weeks, and we could have gone more, believe me, there's so much more in Leviticus we could have touched on. Even though we spent five weeks studying what, what many consider to be one of the most boring books of the Bible, if we're being completely honest, that he can speak through that. He can use that. And let's, and, and let's be real. I think as many of us have realized, it's not really that boring. It is actually a, a pretty interesting book. There's a lot of stuff that happens here. Sure, the language, sometimes tough to understand. And if you don't grasp the, the fullness of the historical cultural context, it may leave us scratching our heads from time to time. But it's anything but boring. The, the entire book is God telling his people that he loves them and he wants to be in community with them. And then he provides a way through the law. He provides a way for them to be in community with him through his law. Isn't that really the narrative of the whole Bible? God providing a way for us to be in community with him? Now we don't have to go through the law as they did. Now we're under grace through Jesus Christ, but it can, it's very relatable. We can relate very much to everything that's being done in Leviticus. So I had several things. When I was thinking about and praying about what, what's going to be the last thing we cover, we've, we've talked about several different things from the book of Leviticus, and, and there's 27 full chapters of stuff, and we didn't go 27 weeks. We, we've gone five, and, and so I was, I, I was trying to figure out there was so much to choose from, and, and actually I was prepping something else up until a few days ago, um, and, and then I kind of felt uh, led to ch sort of change direction, and so uh, this is going to be a little different than the previous weeks where I really walked through uh, kind of walk through the text at hand, sort of offered an exegesis of a, of a particular passage uh, from Leviticus. We're still going to do that somewhat, uh, but I'm also going to pull in today a lot of, of various supporting scripture uh, to illustrate the ideas that we find in Leviticus. And so let's go ahead and open to the book of Leviticus. We're going to be in the 25th chapter. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Year of Jubilee. Year of Jubilee. Has anybody ever been to Philadelphia? Yeah, cheesesteaks are the best, uh, and they're the best only in Philadelphia. Um, they're, they're no good anywhere else. Um, I don't know what it is, and, and in my opinion, they're only good at Pat's, uh, which is in South Philly, uh, not Geno's. They sold out, um, but Pat's, which is where Rocky also got his cheesesteak in the, the classic uh, Rocky one, and so... Um, there, it's amazing. It's amazing. Philly's a great city. I love Philly. Has anybody ever been to see the Liberty Bell in Philly? Okay, so a little more of you than I, than I thought. Here's a, here, this is interesting about the Liberty Bell. It, it, obviously, many of you know it's a symbol of our freedom from British rule, right? Uh, rumor has it, it's not necessarily confirmed, but historians suspect it happened. Rumor has it that the bell, among other bells throughout the city, were, was rung on, on July 8th, not July 4th, uh, whenever the Declaration of Independence was first read aloud. Uh, and so, so there's like, the, it's just this, 
this icon, sort of, this sort of beacon of independence. The bell was cast, however, in 1751, uh, 20-something years prior to the Declaration of Independence being signed, in England, ironically enough. And it was on the 50th anniversary of William Penn. Uh, William Penn, he wrote this thing called the, the Charter of Privileges. Uh, this, so it was on the 50th anniversary of this. That's when it was cast. That's when it was, you know, somebody gave the contract and said, hey, we want you to make this bell for us uh, from the states. And William Penn, obviously, he was the founder of the Pennsylvania colonies. You have to forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm a history nerd. But um, here, I'm getting to the point. Uh, he was a devout Christian uh, of, of sort of the Quaker tradition. So he was, he was a Christian. Uh, he was a Quaker and, and his reading uh, of the Bible actually guided him to some of his revolutionary ideas about liberty and justice for all. In fact, the inscription on the Liberty Bell, which, which sits in Philadelphia, a national landmark, the inscription on the Liberty Bell is from Leviticus 25.10. It says, proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Leviticus 25.10. Leviticus 25 church is, is about the year of Jubilee. It's about freedom and liberty and justice for all. So let's read for a little bit of context. I want to make sure we get a little bit of context here. We're going to pick this up in Leviticus 25. We're going to start in verse 8 and read a couple of verses uh, before we stop and talk about it. So verse 8, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. That's a, a long roundabout way of saying 49 years. Um, then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On, on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all of your land. We talked about the day of atonement a few weeks ago. And you shall consecrate the 50th year. And proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. That's what's on the Liberty Bell, that exact exact verse right there. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. Okay, so the jubilee was a celebration. Right, a ram's horn or or a shofar uh, would would signal and signify, would call to the people of God, to everybody under God's covenant, uh, and tell them it's time to reaffirm their commitment to living as the chosen people. So Jubilee focused on justice and liberty for all. It says to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Its meaning was honestly revolutionary as we can see a little bit later on in the chapter. So to understand Jubilee, we have to first understand God's vision for life in the promised land. Okay, to understand why the Jubilee is so important, we have to understand what God wanted life to really look like in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. And here's where historical cultural context really comes into play. When the Israelites took possession of the land of Canaan, uh, each family would receive an equal inheritance of, of, of the, an equal inheritance in the land. So since land ownership was, uh, is obviously key, and even today we know this, uh, key to economic prosperity, that meant if everybody gets an equal share of the land, if everybody gets an equal share, then inequality should be at a minimum, right? There would be no one percenters, no super rich, no upper class among God's people. However, over time, inequality inevitably sets in. A husband might die leaving a widow and five kids. 
in God's law, by God's law, his brother is supposed to marry the widow and take care of the family. But what if there is no brother? Or what if that brother shirks his duties and decides not to take in the family in question? The widow would have no choice but to sell the land because she can't be a landowner herself. And her older children will become servants of a neighbor so they can have something to live on. What's going to happen to those children? They're going to have no hope of becoming landowners and improving their situation. They'll probably marry someone who's also a servant. And they'll basically end up becoming like slaves. In two or three generations' time, there will be a permanent underclass in Israel. After, after God decreed this, after he set it out. And at the same time, the rich will become richer and the poor will become poorer. Sounds like something that, that we probably deal with and struggle with here even in our society, in our culture. The thing is, God had a different vision for his chosen people. The promised land was not just a place. It was, it was where God's people would thrive, living in freedom and peace. But people are sinful, and God's plan gets disrupted, as we tend to do, disrupting the plans of God. People lose their land and freedom due to mismanagement, laziness, theft, drought, grasshoppers, corrupt political leaders, whatever. It could be natural things or unnatural things. It could be weather-related or circumstance-related or, or mistake and sin-related. So here's what the Jubilee was then. If you, now we understand what God's vision for his people was. Jubilee was God's reset for liberty and justice for all. It was intended to provide hope, to restore social justice in God's land of promise. Let me, let me just read. We don't have time to go through the entire uh, chapter of, of Leviticus 25, so let me just pull out a few key passages that I think uh, are going to help us to understand this as we, as we walk along here. So starting in uh, Leviticus 25, verse 13, In the year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. We mentioned that before. Yeah, everybody gets to go back to their property. We'll talk about that. Let's jump ahead to verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, uh, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow redemption of the land. Let's jump ahead to verse 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Verse 39, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve you, with you until the end, uh, until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go back out from you, he and his children with him. They, they go back to his own, his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I bought out of the land of Egypt, who I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. And then just one more, uh, verse 54. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so we've just read a lot about the year of Jubilee and some things that are happening in the year of Jubilee. Uh, the, it was the, the year of liberty, and it happened after 49 years. And on the 50th year, it was one huge party, like literally a year-long celebration. 
a year-long party. All debts are canceled. We look like the kind of group that would think that's a good thing, right? Amen. All debts are canceled. That sounds great. All prisoners are set free. Now, I know some of you get nervous at this point. I don't know if that's a good idea, emptying out the prison system. You say, I don't mind the debt thing, but maybe, maybe that's a good thing, but, but I don't really know about setting prisoners free, murderers, rapers on the, rapists on the street. That scares me. Well, okay, so let me, let me just say this. Uh, I don't want you to get nervous. I've read the Old Testament. The only thing that they put you in jail for in the Old Testament is not paying your debts. Everything else you get stoned for. So you're, you're, you're dead. So you don't have to worry about murderers, rapists, and like the, that, the, the, they're not going out. It's just really the people who can't pay their debts. They're set free. The land is given back to those who originally possessed it. A redistribution of the land happens. All of this, of course, is good news for the poor. The Jubilee was a new start for poor people. For those who had lost out in life's race, it was a chance to have a new beginning, a fresh start, a point of hope. So Jubilee was supposed to turn economics from the dog-eat-dog world that we live in into really more of like a 50-year game with a hard reset. It's kind of what it was supposed to be. The year of Jubilee was God's big reset button. It was the the reboot in the system, the control-alt-delete in the universe. It was supposed to set everything back to normal, the great equalizer. It gave rest for the soil. They weren't supposed to till or, 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 or manage the soils. Rest for the soil, it was a reversion of landed property and redemption of slaves. Even though things might be a total mess, they returned to proper order during the year of Jubilee. It would honestly have been a, a huge disruption to the social order of things. I mean, if you think about that now, like what would happen today if, if everybody actually, uh, all of our debts were forgiven, all prisoners were released, all, all uh, we'll, we'll say all you know, minor uh, infraction prisoners were released, all, all white-collar prisoners were, were released. And then, like, what would happen if, if all of you uh, got the land that your fathers or your forefathers, your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers uh, actually had once owned, and it all became yours again. It all came back to you. You had a reset. Start over. Reset of the economic system and escape from generational poverty and a reminder of God's vision of liberty and justice for all. It was truly revolutionary, and that's what William Penn, I think, saw, and that's why that's on the Liberty Bell. Now, here's the incredible truth. Here's the incredible truth. Although God had given Israel this 50-year reset button, which sounds phenomenal. It sounds amazing. It sounds like this is what you want to happen. You hope that you're the one that gets to experience this in your generation and in your lifetime. This unique opportunity to celebrate worth, to express justice, to honor life. Not once did Israel ever celebrate a Jubilee year. They talked about it. They taught about it. They referred to it, but not once in their history did they actually celebrate it. They agreed with it. They believed in it, but they never did it. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to the New Testament, thousands of years later, they still had not celebrated Jubilee, not even once. But by then they believed that, that when the Messiah came, he would bring back Jubilee. He would show them how to do it. So Jesus arrives on the scene. And Nazareth, 
where he had grown up. And in early one Sabbath, you might remember this story, he makes his way to the temple as he was accustomed to. And he, he motions that he has something to say. He's there and, and kind of like we had this, this open mic, he says, you know, I've got, I've got a thing to, to say. And he's recognized and he, and he calls for the scroll, the one containing the book of Isaiah. And, and I want to pick up that account for just a moment. I know we're going to jump out of Leviticus. I said we're going to use some other scriptures here this morning. And let's look at Luke chapter 4. And, and, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me and procl- to proclaim good news to the poor. Does that sound familiar? And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes uh, all, and the eyes of, of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was Jesus doing? He was proclaiming the year of Jubilee. But beyond that, he was saying that he was the Messiah. Right? You see, Isaiah had said in chapter 61 that the Messiah would come and he would proclaim the year of Jubilee. So Jesus proclaimed it. He said, I'm the one, I'm he. But he doesn't seem to simply have been inaugurating a jubilee year. Rather, he was announcing a jubilee age, the kingdom of God, that was about to be ushered in. What was the response from the people in the synagogue, in the church? What was the response? The people liked the idea that he was talking about the year of jubilee. That sounds great. We, we appreciate that. We recognize that. They all wanted that. But when they realized that he was saying that he was the Messiah, they tried to kill him. The Bible says in verse 28 that that when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. It wasn't the last time that Jesus is going to be brought to a hill for speaking about love, truth, and liberty by the wrath of people. So God's people didn't actually put into action the plan that God had set up for them. The result was predictable, uh, as can be seen throughout the day. I said before, the rich become richer, the poor become poorer. That's the way of the world, but that was not God's vision for his people in the land of promise. So that's all good and well. That's a, that's a good story, that's interesting, that's different, but, but how does that relate to us? How does that relate to me? How can we apply the principles of Jubilee in today's world? Right, that's what we all want to know. So let me give you two things. One, we can share We can share the heart of God for the least, the last, and the lost. We can share the heart of God for the least, the last, and the lost. Church, God's heart is absolutely, unequivocally to help the poor and the needy people. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18, it says, For the Lord your God is, a, is God of gods and Lord of lords, uh, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial. He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. If we share God's heart for the poor and needy, we will share our resources with them. God values what we give to them as, as if we were giving it to him. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. One of the pillars that this church was founded on, one of the the people groups that we felt led to to serve and 
and minister to as a church body is what the scripture calls the least of these. We're called to love and serve the, the least, the last, and the lost. Matthew 25 uh, says, says, For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Saying that the things that we do for all of these people, we're doing unto God. Whenever we reach out and serve and love the least, the last, the lost, that's, that's serving and loving our God. The thing is, is that charity is not enough because God stands for justice as well. So let me bounce back to Leviticus for a second. In Leviticus 19, uh, you shall do no just injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. We talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. Justice goes beyond impartiality in the courts. It includes not taking advantage of a desperate person. Let me read a passage I skipped over earlier from Leviticus 25. We're going to pick this up in verse 35 and just read a few. Uh, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though uh, he were a stranger and a sojourner. He shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money. We actually did read this part. Uh, you shall not lend him your money at interest nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you into the land of Canaan and to be your God. Although in today's, I get, okay, in today's economic uh chart in today's uh, economic structure and in our economy um, charging interest uh, is and, and making a profit a part of the normal it, there's nothing wrong with it right this is just, it's just the way it is like we all know when we have a credit card we're gonna have interest we all know when we have you know we get interest back on our on our bank accounts etc cetera, etc cetera. we know this it's normal economic activity but charging excessive interest or price gouging is just unjust is what God's saying it's also interesting to me that in verse 35, we can make this remarkable assumption that flies against the current political landscape, or at least the red political landscape, aliens and temporary residents. This is interesting. He says this, calls them strangers and sojourners, right? These are people, these are foreign, these are people that, that, that aren't part of their culture, that aren't part of their society, that aren't part of their group, a part of their clan, a part of their church, They were helped financially. They were given a place to stay. This is in the word. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to make a God statement. God loves justice. God loves compassion. God's justice goes beyond even not taking advantage. It involves showing mercy to people in desperate situations. In Deuteronomy 24, uh, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Listen, justice must include mercy. In this example, justice must include mercy. You cannot take uh, from the widow her, her cloak, her garment, because she needs it. And he keeps bringing up, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. You were once in this place. You were homeless. You, you had no place to lay your head. You had no food, and I gave you manna, and I gave you quail every single day. I led you with a, with a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, and I got you into the promised land. I helped you to, to defeat all the people of the promised land. 
to, to take everybody out so that you can have it because I meant it for you. Keeps bringing that up. And you're thinking, I've never been led to the promised land. I, I can't relate to that. But if you're a believer here this morning, God led you out of darkness. God, God led you from death to life. That is the promised land. We're promised a future with him. We're promised to, to live forever with our God. As opposed to forever somewhere else. Away from God, apart from God. He, got, he likes to give that reminder. Because so often we can forget. We can forget what God's done for us. Church, listen to me. I know it can be difficult to know how to best help people. Sometimes a handout may not help. But we are going to be a church that pursues serving others. Serving the least, the last, and the lost. We're not here to be a country club for the upper middle class. We're not here to be a, a social event for the socialites. We're here to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And if we read our Bibles carefully, we find that God usually comes out on the side of the poor and the powerless because they need his help the most. That's what we're going to do. So the first thing is to have, to have and to share the heart of God, uh, to serve and to love the, the least, the last, and the lost. And the second thing that, that we can take from this, I think, is that we can be a community of jubilee. You see, God's vision for his people in the promised land was that they would live in a community of justice, of mercy, of freedom. That they would not be like other nations, but that they would thrive as God's people. That vision is now focused on the church of Jesus Christ. That vision is now focused on us. Although we can and should advocate for godly principles in our nation, in our society, the primary focus of God's vision is on his people, the church. Jubilee was closely connected with a key religious event. We talked about a few weeks ago, the Day of Atonement. It says this in, in verse 9, Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, the Day of Atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. The gospel is the good news of atonement. That through Christ we have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. The good news of the gospel is also about life in the kingdom of God under Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. The church is a new community free from sin and liberated to love and care for others. We're given that responsibility. We're given that ability, the freedom to do that. Jesus emphasized the social implications of the gospel as well as the personal implications. We mentioned earlier that when he began his ministry, he quoted from Isaiah 61, right, saying that, that he came to proclaim liberty and, and to the captives, uh, to all the captives and proclaim the age of Jubilee. It's incredible, though, to see how much of Jesus' ministry was focused on the poor and the needy people. How often Jesus talked about money, about giving, about serving, about letting, letting parts of you go so that you can give to others and pour into others. But really, I think, to see the impact of the gospel, we have to look at the early church. In Acts chapter 4, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. This is talking about the church, the original church, the first gathering uh, of, of the body of Christ. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. And they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And they were not a, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were the owners uh, of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Is radical sharing of resources the, the total answer to the problems, to the poverty in today's world? No, it's so much more complex than that. And I think even Leviticus points us in that direction. But the early church was pointing to something beyond themselves. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, of justice, and of thriving people. This is clear throughout all of the Bible. Isaiah 65, they shall build houses and inhabit them. Inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and they shall uh, not build and, and, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall, in, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear, bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the, of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. He wanted, this, this, is, this was God's vision. This was God's plan for his people. Isaiah 61, 7, instead of your shame, there shall be double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall reduce, uh, rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They ha shall have everlasting joy. And one more in Acts chapter 3, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, which is the, the greatest thing that we can be given. The church gives the world a vision and a taste for God's coming kingdom. It does that by sharing resources, by giving acceptance and love for rich and poor, powerful and weak, strong and needy. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Psalm 68 gives a mandate to the church. I don't want you to miss this, church. Father of the fatherless, protector of of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. If we can do that, we will give the world a vision of the kingdom of God. When they look at the church, they should see a vision. They should be able to look in a window and see, wow, the kingdom of God is, is pretty incredible. If we're doing these things, if we have a heart for the last, the least, and the lost, if we have a heart for justice and for mercy, for compassion, so I just want to give you uh, three kind of follow-up things, uh, three three quick follow-up things on what what does it mean. So when we say we can be uh, a community of jubilee, we can live in jubilee. We can be a church of jubilee. What does that look like? What does that time and that season look like? And I think uh, three things. Uh, a, it's a time to get right with God. And, and way back, we're not going to read it uh, in the interest of time, but in, uh, in, in chapter 25, verses 8 through 10, we looked at, uh, it gives all the rules and all the laws about how this whole thing should be done. All right, the correct amount of days and the years and how and when to blow the horn, etc. All of these things that they had to do to get right with God. The same applies to us in a manner of speaking, not in the same way. We don't have to follow all these things. We can get right with God right here, right now. For them, it started on the day of atonement. For us, it starts with atonement. Remind, reminding us that we must be forgiven we must embrace that forgiveness in order for us to be close to God. We can take our forgiveness for granted. Repentance can become a practice of the past. We can become dull 
to the nudging and the prodding of the Holy Spirit. A season of jubilee begins with a call back to God. We need that more than ever today. Our world needs to, be, uh, needs to see the church as a people that are committed to God so that we can show them the way. We are the ambassadors. We are the image bearers. We are the light of the world. Church, it's time to act like it. We can't show anyone the way unless we are walking there ourselves. So it starts with atonement. It continues with consecration. We need forgiveness, but we also need commitment. Is your life consecrated to God? That means, is, is your life truly belonging to God? It's the hardest thing to die to yourself, but it's crucial if we really want to be in community with God, if we really want to lead others there as well. So have you given it all? Have you given everything over to God? It's a time to get right with God. The year of Jubilee is also a time of restoration. Uh, again, we're not going to read the passage, but we've, we've hit it already. Uh, verses 10 and 13, it talks about returning to your property if you have been forced off of it uh, for some reason, restoring you as the rightful owner. Restoration is resetting things back to the original order. Guys, we, we drool over classic restored cars, right, that were using the original parts and pieces, and they were all put together to just create this, this gorgeous vehicle. Some might love uh, old restored furniture or, or homes or other things. The Jubilee returned the Israelites to their family, to their family property, and it restored them. Church, do you ever sense that you need to just get back to the basics in your Christian walk? Th things are, are complicated in our current culture. Respect for God is honestly kind of hard to find. Jubilee is a call for us to restore the basics and the truths that we've always known back into practice. Return to your first love. And, and return some of what God's given you back to him. God is in the business of restoring us. He created us after his own perfect image. Sin ruined us like rust ruins an old Mustang. And then Christ restores us with his blood. Jubilee is a time of restoration. And here's the last thing. It's also a time of faith. During the year of Jubilee, we again, we read this, but during the year of Jubilee, they, uh, they weren't supposed to plant crops. And I think they probably rightfully wanted to know how they're going to survive. God promised such a blessing that they will have enough for three years to eat, though. Can you imagine the faith that they needed to trust God during this time? To, to, it, it, was, it, was, it was trust for their life, for their livelihood, for their, their living, for their families. And Jen and I experienced this trust when we planted this church. We, we stepped out in faith with no idea how we were going to feed our kids, how we were going to pay the bills, how we were going to make ends meet, but this is the season of Jubilee, and God was faithful. We had faith, and God proved faithful. And we celebrate God's faithfulness in our lives every single chance we get. Church, it's time for us to have tremendous faith. We can always have questions about things naturally. That's going to happen. But we serve a supernatural God. What dreams will we dream, church, if we had the faith to ask God, the things that, that he asked of Israel, to ask God to do the same things in our lives that he asked of Israel. What would, be we, what would we be willing to dream if we didn't have 
to worry about like logic and reason and our own cynicism and we didn't try to explain everything away. If we had a childlike faith, what kind of dreams would we dream? What kind of jubilee season would that be? I believe this is a season of jubilee for us. It's a season where we can share with others in need. We can seek mercy. We can seek justice. We can live joyfully as a community in which people are loved and supported no matter what. We can show the first fruits of the coming kingdom of God where no one will be in need. Righteousness will flow and love will abound. We will live forever in that kingdom. We're not there yet, church, but we're seeking it. We're tasting it. We're asking God to bring it, and we need to show it. Jubilee tells me that God is good with our celebrations. They had a year-long party. God is good with our celebrations. It's a joyful and exciting time, just as we are experiencing here this morning. You know, as I said, there's no record that the Jews ever honored uh, the year of Jubilee, that they ever actually went after it. Uh, they, they instead trusted in themselves more than God. But let me, let me just say this. What a blessing they missed out on. We can miss out on a blessing that way too, by ignoring God's teaching and by living without faith and by our own power. That's where we miss that blessing. So let's experience Jubilee now and forever in Jesus Christ. Let's, let's be a shining example for the world around us. Let's be known more for what we're for than what we're against. Let's enjoy being in the presence of God. Let's take joy in sharing the good news of God. Let's be a church that serves the last, the least, and the lost. Let's be a people that embodies justice, mercy, and freedom. I want to get you to stand up on your feet. Let's celebrate this morning because we can do all of this and more through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We don't have to wait 49 years, church. We can do it today. We can celebrate right here, right now. We can talk to God, and he can talk right back to us. As you stand to your feet, I want to pray over you. God, I pray that in this moment, as we realize and recognize that you are all-powerful, you are almighty, you love us, you care for us, you, you desire for our lives, mercy, goodness, compassion, and justice, that you will be in this place, that you will move in these moments, that you will move in the hearts of these people. God, we give it all to you. We praise you. We love you. We celebrate you. It's in Jesus' name.